You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Welcome into another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show, where we help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. Glad to have you with us once again as we answer your questions today. Uh, as we air this on December 6th, 2023, that's our live stream date. We know we uh, have many platforms where you may be checking us out on podcast or on radio, but it's into the final stretch now of 2023, about three and a half weeks left. So what are you doing to make 2024 the year you step towards uh, ensuring true financial independence? We're here to answer questions and get you on track today. Janet Walker alongside for the second straight week and welcome aboard to you once again. Are you ready to go? I am. Absolutely. Let's so roll. We've got some good questions today. We're going to start with Misty from Bryant. So let's check out her question. Okay. Contribution limits. Confuse me. Does my employer match count towards my $6,500 Roth contribution? What happens if at year end I auto contribute more than the $6,500? Does it disappear or reallocate to a 401k. Misty, thanks for your question very much. Uh, a lot of, lot of confusion there, I think, in what Misty's asking, and we think we probably ought to start by getting some clarification there. Janet, I think the distinction here, and it does get confusing. It, I, I it think does. It's, it it's does. very easy because so many 401ks now have Roth 401k components to it, so you get that Roth moniker on 401ks and also on IRAs, and then you have traditional IRAs. It can be a lot to sort through, but you have to make a distinction first because the first part of Misty's question is about employer matches. So there's a distinction between personal contributions uh, and contributions to an employer plan. So personal contributions happen to something like a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, and they have their own contribution limits, and you are the only one contributing to it. Let's talk about the I in IRA. That may help people just remember that this is not your employer plan. The I stands for individual. So you are individually responsible for whatever contributions are going into that. There's nothing that's going to go into your IRA, whether it is a Roth or a traditional. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that will go into your I, individual, IRA, that did not come from you individually. And then, Scott, if you want to circle back to the employer plan. Yeah, so if you're contributing and you can contribute for those fifty or under 50 up to 6500 this year into that Roth IRA, those dollars would all come from you. None of it would come from your employer, and it has nothing to do with the contribution limits of the money that goes in to your 401k or your employer plan, whatever kind of employer plan that is. So in an employer plan, the uh, contribution limits are much higher. They're going up in 2024, but for this year, they are $22,500 of personal contributions, and then the employer sets the match. That is usually uh, a dollar for dollar or a percentage of uh, up to an amount um, based on a percentage of your salary that you put into that 401k. But the dollar amount, contribution limits, $6,500 if you are under 50, an additional $1,000 if you're 50 or over, making it $7,500 for 2023. That is in a Roth 
and or a traditional IRA. So that is an aggregate amount. You can put that much money into one or a combination of two. The 401k, the employer plan would be $22,500. And that's whether it's a, a traditional 401k or a Roth 401k, depending on, of course, uh, the summary docu- the summary plan uh, of your actual em- employer plan. That may matter on where you can put those dollars, but $22,500 is the total. So those are separate. So you can add those together mm-hmm. if you have access to a 401k and uh, contribute to a Roth or traditional IRA. Scott, let's talk about the portion of Misty's question here where she asks about the auto contribution. She mm-hmm. says, what happens if at year end I auto contribute more than the 6500 Again, we're going to distinguish between we're not sure if you intended to be asking about the 6500 which is the individual contribution amount, or if you intended potentially to be thinking about the employer plan. So what we're looking at, though, on auto contributions is you know ahead of time, like you can do the math on that. So if it's on your individual uh, contributions, then we need to know individually, like where where are you on that? And just do the math and look ahead for the month of December Where's that going to put you for your total contributions? And then on your employer plan, most of the payroll systems that people are using out there, they're automated to be able to calculate that for you. And they will actually, the program, not not the people behind it, but the program is going to stop that contribution when you hit that max limit, assuming that all of your data is put in correctly. For example, knowing your proper age so that you are able, if you're over 50, to contribute more all of those things are programmed into it, so it's going to automatically stop that. Scott, in that case, um, we have a concern for people you know, missing some of the match that is potentially yeah. there if they contribute too much too soon through the year. Yeah, and that's a big thing to be looking at right now. I think this question is very timely for people who are walking up on that and they have maybe a couple of paychecks left. If they have hit their maximum contribution mm-hmm. on their 401k, their employer is likely going to stop that Or we actually had somebody in the office this week where the money did go in, they over-contributed, and they cut them a check and sent back some of the contribution. So at some point, they're going to have to true that up, right? You can only put $22,500 in or uh, the catch-up if you're 50 or over. So if you've already hit that in September or October or even now, then the employer is going to shut that down. And if 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 you don't make a personal contribution then you're likely not going to get the employer match either because that is attached, right? They're matching you based on your personal contribution. So that becomes a difficult situation for people who don't really have levelized income. If, they, yeah. if they're straight yeah. salary, they're going to be able to do the math. 22.5, if they're trying to max out their 401k, you can determine what percentage of your income that is. But for people who are in sales and that income is going to fluctuate, just remember when you get a big commission check, right? Yeah. They're going to still take whatever percentage you've set, and that can cause you to put too much in before the end of the year and then miss out on a match potentially. What we've encouraged uh, our team to do who has variable comp is, you know, just set the dollar amount and just know that you're going to contribute that dollar amount regardless of. You know, whether you're getting a big paycheck or a smaller paycheck, you're going to contribute whatever that dollar amount is. And that that takes care of making sure that you're getting that match throughout the year. Yeah, that's a great point. That's the way we do it here. I would certainly ask your employer if that's possible. You know, so much of that is done um, automated Mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. and there may not be an option for you to do that. I think of my wife, who is also in sales. And we, we go in and kind of change your percentage yeah. as the year goes on to make sure we're going to be okay and get all of those employer dollars. 
Um, another thing to note, we mentioned the 2023 limits, but it is a good time to tell everybody, including Misty, that those limits are going to go up in 2024. They do occasionally. They don't every year. That's an IRS decision, but certainly we've been seeing them go up on a pretty consistent basis because of inflation, because that's somehow some sometimes the consideration that the IRS is uh, uh, having to try to determine whether they're going to increase those contribution limits or not. So in 2024, your Roth IRA or your traditional IRA limits are now $7,000. That's up from 6500 in 2023 with a catch-up contribution for 50 and over of $1,000. So you can get $8,000 in 2024 into a traditional uh, or Roth IRA. For the 401k, it's going up by $500 to $23,000 for employee contributions. And there's a $7,500 uh, catch-up contribution for those 50 and over, which which puts the total at $30,500. Can I just take a moment to reminisce? <laughs> way back in the day, it's been a minute, but yeah. way back in the day when I started in this industry, the uh, contribution limit for a Roth or a traditional IRA was $2,000 a year. That was it. I remember that. Yeah, it was the most that you could contribute. And and now, uh, you know, going into next year, you're going to be at 7000 or at 8000 if you get the catch-up. Um, the reason I mention that is not really to reminisce, but to encourage you who are out there listening to go, okay, why is the government increasing those amounts? Why are they allowing us to contribute more? And the reason is costs are increasing. They know that you're going to need more money in retirement than what we anticipated, you know, 30 years ago, whatever. Things are going to cost more. And so you have to look at this and go, look, they're giving me an opportunity to contribute more. Maybe I need to be paying attention and getting ahead of the curve as far as my retirement contributions are concerned. Yeah, if you're not contributing or you're not contributing the match, certainly this is a great time as you head mm-hmm. into the new year to be thinking about ramping up your retirement savings. And I really, before we wrap this up, a really uh, common question we get too, especially with the, the advent of the Roth 401k, is should I be contributing to the pre-tax 401k or the Roth 401k? And that's a question for a different show. But I think just to throw that out there, if that's a question you've had, reach out to an advisor. We'd be glad mm-hmm. to discuss that with you at GenWealth as well. But the point is, is it needs to be part of your overall financial plan. Your financial status matters there. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach on you should be all pre-tax, you should be all Roth. Where you are in your financial journey matters, but a lot of decisions to be made. And I think December is kind of a time when people do that, especially when we can offer that information that the uh, contribution limits are going up. It's a good time to set the set the tone for January uh, on your path to true financial independence. Great question from Misty. We hope we uh, helped Misty. If you've got questions, call or text them to us. The number is 501-381-5228. You can actually uh, leave a voicemail or you can write out a text to that number to hear your questions answered on the air. You can also send us an email if that's more comfortable for you. Our email is show at getreadyforthefuture.com. So let's move on. And this one came in through text. Kathleen writes, our 40s will be a messy middle. As we had our first kid 19 months ago, what guidance do you have for people having children later? Does it change anything? Great question there uh, from Kathleen. Well, it changes a lot non-financially, right? Yeah. Uh, I had a 
Uh, my fourth and final child was born when I was 36 years old, and that's not in my 40s, but it's certainly later. It's close. It's certainly later. I mean, I'm, I'm now, I'm just turned 50 this year, and he's 14, so obviously your empty nest years are going to be delayed. Um, and it's a time financially when you do a lot of catch up, right? I mean, uh, I, I would not change anything about having four kids, and I have two stepkids now, too. So, I mean, I've got six in the home and love, love having them around, but there is obviously a moment in time where they're all going to be. Uh, on their own, not mm-hmm. not financially independent without income, but financially independent without mom and dad, and that's going to r- release a lot of cash flow yeah. uh, in our household income. And that's when a lot of people traditionally who've had kids in their twenties really do a lot of catch up. We just talked about the catch up contributions, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that because as you get into your fifties, statistically speaking, is when that's your highest earning years, and it's when you have the least amount of financial responsibility, more than likely, if, if, if things have gone as planned. So when you have kids in your 40s, that's the thing you got to be obviously thinking about is, and I've got a friend that actually had one at 49. He, he had tried many times and had a couple of girls and he wanted a boy and he went after it one more time and he got a son at 49 years old. So you think he's going to be on social security by the time that child yeah. graduates high school. So, but that's the way, that's the way things happen. And it's, and it's not, at all putting you in an impossible situation. But I think the first thing I would say, Janet, is hopefully if it's just now happening Mm -hmm. that you've done some planning and some saving prior to your 40s. Yeah. So when your your peers in your same age group were making daycare payments, hopefully you were putting Mm. some of that money back um, because paying daycare ain't no fun. I'm just telling you, (laughs) it's been a long time, but I still have scars from that. I'm just going (laughs) to say it was very expensive at a time when when frankly, you know, you're just beginning to make a little bit of money in life uh, for most people starting out. So hopefully that won't be as much of a challenge for you in your 40s with the income level that you you probably have at this point. The other thing I would say is I I would really, this is not really financial, but there's an element of it that is financial. I would really encourage you to think about how you're raising this child in terms of their future level of independence. Because by the time this kid, let's, you just said in your 40s, but let's say you are 40. By the time this kid is 20, you're going to be 60 and you're not going to be in the mindset of I want to deal with, you know, college age kid questions and issues and whatever. It's just a little bit different that you're almost um, you're almost raising a grandchild compared to some generations. And so the tendency, though, when this happens is that people do raise much more mature children because they are older themselves. So I, I would just say to be very intentional about that because you want this child, if something happens to you earlier uh, rather than later, you want this child to be able to make very independent, wise decisions. Yeah. You know, life insurance takes on a whole new look. Oh, right? yeah, when you have totally. kids in the home yeah. much longer, you might want to take a look at a different life insurance plan if you have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, too, one of the things I think about here is how my youngest child probably has had a little bit different childhood than my first three because of the financial situation I'm oh, yeah. in now compared yeah. to when I was in my 20s and 30s. So I do think there's, if you are financially capable, because it's hard to say, is it going to change anything when we don't know, you know, what kind of the financial details, situation yeah. that Kathleen is in. But I do think that if you do have uh, more disposable income now and you could potentially really easily spoil that child, right? I mean, really give in them a, a good lot way. more, in a good yeah, way, right? Yeah. Give them more things. I think it's worth 
putting some boundaries in. I yeah. mean, I, I think, you know, that, that really you have to really be thinking more about your retirement in your 40s than you obviously did in your 20s. Well, I, I'll give you an example. And we weren't in our 40s, but we were, you know, like you, we were well into our 30s when our, our youngest was born. And uh, one of the things that, that we've done, and I think we would have done this if even if we had had children younger, but like on that first vehicle, um, we did a match and we're kind of training them about mm-hmm. a 401k, you know, like if you put money in, we'll put money in. And our deal on the on the vehicle was a dollar for dollar match. So if you put in a dollar, we put in a dollar and you can mm-hmm. go buy yourself a Hot Wheels car, you know. <laughs> um, but if you put in multiple thousands, then we'll put in multiple thousands. And so like our daughter, who's our youngest was able to go and buy her dream. It's a used, you know, truck, but she loves that thing. And she's so proud of it, you know, that she worked and, and earned the money to put into it. So she doesn't take it for granted. But Scott, I tell that because you're talking about, you know, teaching them the responsibility. And like, she's been on on trips that we would have never dreamed of being able to take yeah. had we had children, you know, younger so she's had a lot of those advantages and the positives, but we've also gone, look, kiddo, you got some responsibility that, you know, it, 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 could we have bought the vehicle? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would it have been best thing for her? No, it yeah. wouldn't have been. And, and that's not the same for everybody. You know, you do your set of rules for your kids, but be thinking about just because you have it doesn't mean it needs to go to them. You've got to be sure that, frankly, the greatest gift you can give your child is to be prepared for, for retirement. Yep. I, I remember one time years ago, I'll tell this little side story and then we'll move to the next question. But years ago, I had this couple who came in and they were spending money left and right at the, their thing. And I'm not picking on Starbucks. Their thing was Starbucks, though, like literally their retirement was going to cups of coffee. And and we just had a very, con, you know, just open conversation about what they were doing to their their themselves distantly in the future, you know, as far as their retirement. And they kind of joked and they said, listen, our 10 year old is out here in the lobby and she really loves Starbucks. Why don't you why don't you talk to her about it? Because they didn't want to have that conversation. And I said, I said, done. Let's talk. So I go out there and I and I get eye to eye with her and I said, sweetheart, I have a question for you. You've got a choice. Would you like to stop going to Starbucks? Maybe not completely, but stop going to Starbucks as much as you guys do. Just go maybe once or twice a month. And when you get out and you live on your own, your parents still live at their house. Or would you like to keep going to Starbucks all the time? And when you get out and you live on your own, your parents move in with you. Which would you prefer? (laughs) And she looked at mama and said, can we stop going to Starbucks, please? <laughs> like it was an immediate decision when she understood the consequences of it. Yeah. And that's a little bit extreme, but really that's the track they were on. Mm-hmm. So when your children understand the impact of these small decisions and how they add up, they're wise enough to make the right choice. Yeah. The bottom line, I think, for Kathleen is you have to have a plan. And we say that all the time, but it's true. Your plan's just going to look different the, yeah. than, than yeah. someone who parented in their 20s. I, one more I'll throw in there is I think about college savings. You know, if you're if your plan is to uh, have some college savings for your child, you know, usually if you're in the traditional path of being a parent, like I've got kids in college now at 50 years old, I'm still earning my income. Right. But you might be really close to retirement and your income's about to drop. So a plan for their college is something that has to be thought about in a different way. But again, not at the expense is to Janet's point of your own retirement, because you are actually blessing your kids by having your own financial independence in order 
um, as they get older. So great question. Lots to think about. Again, I would encourage you to reach out to a financial advisor and build a plan. We'd be uh, happy to do that here at GenWealth. You can reach out uh, to us and call toll-free 866-653-PLAN. It's 866-653-7526 to set up a first appointment with a GenWealth financial advisor. And this is the question of the week. Congratulations to Kathleen. Thank you for reaching out with your question. We'd love to send you a Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr, which I do not have today. I've actually just got the regular GenWealth financial advisor Tumblr. But we've got a Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr uh, to send you. We just need to hear from you, Kathleen. Just email us at show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim it. Next up on the program, it's George from Batesville. My wife and I both have pensions that contribute 15% each of our salaries. We're out of debt other than the house and are trying to figure out what to do next. Should we boost savings or maxing out 401ks and Roths? George, thanks very much for your question. Well, first of all, congratulations for having a pension that's contributing 15%. We know that those are not uh, very uh, prevalent anymore and getting more or less and less prevalent. Great that you're out of debt other than the house, but we need to know a few more things, right, from from George to really build this retirement plan. I think, you know, one of the most important things that we think about in this conversation anyway, but especially when you start with a conversation about pensions, is we're going to immediately go to what other sources of guaranteed income do you have, like Social Security as an example. So, in, in many situations, when people receive a pension, they also have Social Security income, but that is not always the case. I'll use some police officers as an example. I have some retirees uh, from the old system in Little Rock who, do, who did not contribute to Social Security, so they might have a little bitty Social Security check from some off-duty jobs that they did, or some of them literally don't get anything from Social Security. They just have their pension. As opposed to, like in Benton, they actually pay into their pension and they pay into Social Security. So that group, when they retire, will have both a Social Security check and a pension check. So the question to begin thinking about is, do you have four guaranteed sources of income in retirement, meaning two pension checks and two Social Security checks, or is it just the two pension checks? And that's going to lead into, like, how much do we need to boost your uh, other savings for, or other investments, rather, for retirement, like 401ks and Roths, to be able to supplement what your guaranteed income will be. Yeah, I think I'd, uh, we do this a lot, but it's good to think about um, a mindset shift when it comes to what you're going to need from your savings, your investments for retirement. People think of it as a magic number. They think of if everybody reaches $1 million or $1.5 million, that that's going to solve all the problems. But retirement is not an asset problem. It is an income problem. So we need to know what your guaranteed income sources are, and is that going to be enough to cover your basic lifestyle and retirement? We've got a graphic to show you how we want to build that. Think about building a house. When you talk about the foundation of your house, it is the most important part. It is the least interesting and less, least <laughs> exciting part, but it is the most important part. And it's the same for your retirement income. That guaranteed income is your foundation. Why? Because it cannot be outlived. You are going to get those checks for the remainder of your life. So if there are two, in George's case, two social security checks and two pensions, more than likely he's going to have enough guaranteed income in his household to pay all his monthly bills, especially when he's telling us he's already out of debt other than the house. That may not be the case for everybody else. If there are just 
two Social Security checks and they're not large enough to pay the monthly household expenses, you need to boost your guaranteed income. And that comes in the form of using a portion of your investments to purchase a product, an investment product like an annuity that will provide enough guaranteed income to fill the gap between what your guaranteed income sources are and what your household monthly expenses are. Okay, so that's the first box that has to be checked. And then you see the beautiful blue and yellow house if you're watching on the video version of the Get Ready for the Future show. That's what we call our desired income. And for people who have their foundation set, the investment portion is used to fund that desired income in retirement on a monthly basis. You know, you think about what what goes into on that graphic on the house, what's in that living space? You know, Mm -hmm. if you look around the living room, there's some pictures of maybe a trip that you've taken and Mm -hmm. things like that. All of those memories from experiences that you do together those are things that you're going to need to have income to be able to fund that. It's not required, got to have it to keep the lights on, but it is desired income, and, and that is where that comes in. And then if you move forward uh, and go into the attic space, you know, what's up in your attic? All, yeah. all the stuff that the kids are going to get one day. That's you right. Know? Yep. It's, your, it's your legacy. Mm-hmm. You're not using it to live on. Uh, it's stored up there, and somebody's going to get it in the future. But that's what you've got to think about in terms of of these dollars. You know, you've got, as Scott said, you've probably got enough coming in to cover that foundation, to cover the required expenses. But what does the rest of that house need to look like for you? And what do you already have? Yeah. And so when you're trying to determine, George, whether you should boost savings into your 401k or your Roths, what we have to do is build a plan first to determine have you Based on what you need and want on a monthly basis, have you overfund, are you going to overfund retirement or underfund retirement? That's really where we are uh, when we go through the planning process, because if you've underfunded, then we can create a plan to boost your savings and get you there to the finish line when you retire. If you've overfunded, then you might turn your attention to getting rid of the mortgage. You might turn your attention to building up cash savings uh, to prepare for lump sum purchases in retirement, or you can prepare for legacy. There's all sorts of things, long-term care that can come up after that. But the bottom line is you have to plan and be prepared for that uh, in retirement uh, before you determine where you send your your dollars. And, you know, the other part about that desired income before we move on, I know we've got one more question. Uh, It's also to battle the inflationary uh, pressures that you're going to face in retirement as well, because we don't know uh, if if he has a 401k, most likely that pension is uh, from a private company, mm-hmm. which means it's likely to be flat. It is not going to increase. Your first check is your best check and your worst check for the rest of your life. So you've got to have a way from your investments to increase your income uh, as you lose purchasing power from inflation. One other side note, though, uh, like you said, since they mentioned 401k, this person probably is not a federal employee. But while we're talking about pensions, if you're a federal employee, Scott and I have both seen this happen uh, with some of our clients. When when they have they have FERS, the federal employee retirement system, that that is their pension income. When they have that and they retire, they're waiting on their check. We have both seen a significant delay between the last paycheck and then you know they they've retired they're not going to get another paycheck for work and then the time period that lapses before they get that first pension check 
Now, Scott, we've both seen where they did get paid back that amount. But the question is, what do you live on in that interim period? Mm. And it can be tight if you're not intentional about planning for that ahead of time to know that, hey, it's okay. They can take their time. We've got savings built up exactly for that purpose. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks again, George, for the question. And we're going to hustle to our final question as we're running out of time here on the Get Ready for the Future show. Karen from Little Rock writes, my company covers most of my health care expenses and therefore don't qualify slash offer an HSA. What other options should I be using to prepare for health expenses? Uh, HSA is a health savings account that if you have a high deductible uh, insurance plan. Many employers offer this as a way for you to put pre-tax dollars into an investment account that you can invest and grow over long periods of time. And then when you withdraw the funds, they're actually withdrawn tax-free if they are used for qualifying health care expenses. So it's a great tool to have, but not everybody has access to it. So uh, Karen asks us, you know, what else should she do? First thing I think of is, is there an FSA option Mm -hmm. difference between hsa and fsa so we've actually got a graphic to share for those of you who are are watching the show with us today that will help you understand a little bit more about the difference between the hsa and the fsa scott you've already gone through the hsa for the fsa and we actually have that here at genwealth for our team members and i max that joker out every year because it the thirty two hundred dollar contribution limit that we're looking at for next year I guarantee you with the health issues that my husband has, we're going to have $3,200 in healthcare expenses. It's going to happen. So the question is, do I want to spend $3,200 after tax money or $3,200 pre-tax money? And so that's why we max that out in our situation each year. Now, the difference, uh, one of the key differences here is that on the HSA uh, that they would like to have and have mentioned here in the question uh, from Karen on the HSA, that can be added to and accumulate over the years, and you could use it many years down the road. The FSA, it's not exactly true to the calendar year, like there's a little bit of an overlap into the following year where we can use it, but basically it's got to be used in a year's time, and, and so it's not going to accumulate, but it does help us on an ongoing, you know, just year-to-year basis. So, I would ask about the availability of the FSA, knowing that you don't have the HSA available. Um, The other thing, though, is, uh, Scott, we have seen many clients over the years use Roth money for Mm health care expenses. In retirement, for sure, that's a great opportunity uh, to use the Roth because, again, it's not taxed. So it's not going to count against your taxable income, no matter how much of it you pull. So preparing from a retirement standpoint, I think that's good. I don't know how old... Karen is and how close she is uh, to retirement. But I would also say um, building up an emergency fund Mm -hmm. um, that is enough to cover your deductibles. And I would include not just health insurance, but auto insurance deductibles, um, home insurance deductibles. Really, if your world came crashing down in any given year. The tornadoes that we had last year. Yeah. That's that's a huge. So if all of that happened in one year, do you have enough cash on the sidelines to make sure you're into the insurance company's pocket? You have leveraged the insurance because you have enough cash to cover all your deductibles. And uh, there there obviously may not be 100% coverage. Once you've met your deductible, you may still have to have um, some co-insurance payments on there, but at least you get past that uh, threshold. So I would recommend doing that. And then I think in retirement, you know, you can still invest. There's the Roth option, but you can still invest after tax dollars to be earmarked for health uh, care expenses. You know, you think about what we just talked about with the previous question. 
if you've overfunded retirement, if you've saved enough to, to, to produce more than the income you're needing and wanting in retirement, then you have the opportunity to start really putting a bucket aside for whatever other things you need to, to prepare for. And healthcare is the number one. Long-term care is part of that. Can you use a portion of your investable assets to set aside and have a moderate investment strategy because you don't know when you're going to need these unless you have an ongoing healthcare problem, then you'd probably want to have more of a conservative investment strategy because that's the, that's the point of the time horizon. Assigning the time horizon really determines your investment strategy. But it's very often we do have people put a bucket of money, Janet, to the mm-hmm. side of uh, their retirement income that's not going to get spent on a monthly basis, but is there for things like healthcare expenses. Yeah, I I really like that. It's a little bit of peace of mind for our clients. There's there are many times when the question is, but if I need something, if something happens, where do I go for that? And so that's why we would in many cases set aside a portion of dollars. And again, we want to look at the tax treatment on that. And and Scott's already hit on this, but to recap a little bit, if you're pulling the, those excess dollars in addition to your monthly retirement income, if you're pulling those excess dollars from pre-tax money, then in that case, you're going to have a higher tax bill. And if you're able, however, to pull it from Roth, then whatever you withdraw is what you're going to go home with. So it can really make a tremendous difference for you in your overall uh, tax impact for the year. So just some things for you to consider as you move forward to retirement. I know we're about to hit the final bell. I do want to throw one more thing in there, too, that's non-financial. But one thing when she asks, if you can, what can you do to prepare for health expenses, lead a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Boy, as I get older, that's one of the things I think about. It's no guarantees. Certainly no guarantees you're not going to have health problems. But your health care expenses can be lower if you're healthier. Well, and I'll tell you a discovery I made this year. I may have shared this with you already, but, you know, I I ran my first um, half marathon this Mm -hmm. year. And, y'all, I'm going to tell you, I'm still not a runner. If you're a runner, I'm not like you. I'm not that person. But I run more than I did, you know, previously. And my doctor, I was shocked by this. I had not lost weight uh, because building up muscle, there's not a weight change. My doctor could tell from my blood work. He asked me what I was doing. And so this deal about live healthier, like y'all, it's legit. And that may be part of my, you know, final thoughts yes. right now. But we're, we've talked a lot today about more future minded, like into the future, talked about healthcare expenses. We've talked about, you know, what if we're having kids late and what does that mean for our future? I would encourage you if any of these hit home for you. It is time to do some planning, long-range planning, but long-range plans, long-range goals are hit by short-term activities. Mm. Um, You don't run a half marathon because you get up off the couch and decide, I'm going to go run 13.1 miles. There's some training that leads up to that, and the same is true financially. I would say my final thought is an opportunity for you to take a step towards true financial independence by texting the word STEPS to 501-381-5228. When you text the word STEPS to that number, you're going to receive a way to download seven steps to financial independence. You can do it that way. You can also visit getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps or email us show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. We thank Misty and Kathleen, George and Karen for their questions. If you've got questions, get them to us. Call or text them to 501-381-5228 to hear your questions answered. 
on the air. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.